Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Libby. Presenting Book Two, The Hunt. Hoods, Part Two. Written by Cody Martin and Mercedes Lackey. Read by Veronica Jaguer. There were several places in the city where Seraphim took up perches. She didn't eat, didn't sleep, and one place was as good as another to her. The Suncoast Plaza building was the most obvious. But there were others. When she tired of being stared at, there were places she could go to be unnoticed, to sort through the futures, sifting through the threads of what might be. It was difficult to do this when you were being gawked at or shot at. The gawking wasn't so bad, but the bullets were annoying. The tug on the lines of the present would disturb her, and she would have to deal with the would-be killers, sometimes losing her train of thought for an entire minute. Even if she had not been very close to omniscient, it would not at all have surprised her that there had been people trying to kill her. It was not just the two metacriminals that had made the first attempts on her life. Those she had left in fetal curls after exposing their innermost thoughts and revealing to them every darkest secret they attempted to deny. Why, after seeing on the news what she could do, they had thought they could take her, she still could not imagine. Humans were unfathomable sometimes. No, there had been one televangelist whose empire had come crashing down in the wake of the Tholian attacks. He blamed her for not saving his elaborate church complex from the Tholian troopers. His motive she could at least understand, and his anger had been fueled by self-righteousness to the point where he was, as she understood the term, insane. She had melted the barrel of his shotgun, and exposed him to all of the pain he had caused others by taking the money they should have been using to support themselves in exchange for his false promises of salvation. He had not been left in a fetal curl. He had collapsed and crawled away on hands and knees, passing out of her sphere of interest. However he chose to redeem himself did not matter to the futures. There had been contract killers. Black Snake for two, Freelance for one, who had been hired by other religious men, because she did not act as they felt an angel of the Lord should. To wit, to act for them as God's personal enforcer of what their narrow view of morality encompassed. Therefore she must be fallen, as if they had any notion just what the fallen were like. The contract killers she had dealt with simply. She had allowed their victims access to them, or rather the spirits of those victims. Those that had not forgiven and gone home, that is, which was quite a few. Chased by the haunts they themselves had created, again she dismissed them. They had no impact on the futures, and thus no further impact on her. Still, the interruptions were annoying. So she had a perch or two that no one knew about, where she had never let anyone catch sight of her. This was one, this rooftop, an abandoned industrial building, this was one she most often chose, not only because she could sit here unobserved, but because this was a place that ate at her. It was a blank spot in the futures, a hole in the intricate threads she was trying to sort out. She could not fathom it, so she would come here to try and make some sense of it, prowling mentally around it and sniffing suspiciously, like a cat around something that might be a coiled snake, 
or might only be a coil of rubber hose. She had come here tonight just after midnight, weary of the everlasting gawkers trying to take pictures of her. She could go about her rescues just as easily, and less visibly from here. Things slowed just before sunrise, leaving her to settle, wings close-furled, in the chill, damp air of pre-dawn, to blank her mind and wait for direction. But it was not direction that came. It was a man. He strolled casually from the roof access door, bringing a bottle of beer to his lips as he walked. Seraphim could see clearly, even in the gloom. He was dressed simply, with a sweat-soaked wife-beater shirt and a pair of ratty jeans. In an instant she scanned him, trying to determine the futures and threads connected to his existence, and was mildly surprised to find that she couldn't. Recognition replaced the novel sensation of slight astonishment almost as quickly as it had come over her. This was the man that she had seen a few weeks ago, when she had saved one particular soul that had the misfortune of being ambushed by looters. And another surprise. The Infinite was not going to reveal his futures to her. He existed for her only in the present, and an unfamiliar sensation sizzled quietly through her. After a moment, she recognized it. Fear. She tasted the sensation. It was very new to her. Never in all of her long, long existence had she personally felt fear until she had been made incarnate here. She'd fought some of the darkest entities in existence, and brave horrors that would have shattered a mortal mind. But never had there been this sense of dread. She knew why she felt it now, of course. She was made in man's image, and when humans encountered something they did not recognize that was alien to them, they felt fear. Why could she not see him? He stopped, bottle forgotten in his hand, and stared at her. Who are you? she asked, fixing him with her gaze. The novelty of this sensation, this fear, as well as the fear itself, had her slightly unbalanced. Now that she had him in her physical sight, she knew who he was, of course. It was there in his mind. John Murdoch. Him. Again. And this was not the first time he had made her feel fear, and for the same reason. She knew him through the thoughts and memories that were omnipresent in his mind. She knew all his yesterdays. She knew what he was and how he had been made the way he was. Doubts, fears, horrors. But no hopes, no dreams. He had given those up long ago. Long ago when they had been taken from him. But to read the depths of his past, the things that were not in his mind, that was hard. Harder than it should have been. But he was the nexus of a surprising number of paths leading to him. What she did not know was what he would be. She did not know what he would do, what he could do, not in the futures, not in a future, not in the next minute. The hole in the futures was not this place. It was a man. It was him. And she had been brought to him. Even now she felt in herself a connection to him that, in the context of what she herself knew, made no sense. An inquiry confirmed what she had surmised. The Infinite was withholding things about this man from her. And she did not know why. 
are you? She said aloud, as human spoke, her voice sounding strange and hollow in her own ears. He regarded her for a moment, and then scoffed before taking a swig from his bottle. I thought that'd be apparent, came the laconic reply. I'm your creator. You're a figment of my imagination, after all, ain't you? That shocked a startled laugh out of her. My creator, John Murdoch, is nothing you believe in. Why cannot I see you? Her wings stirred restlessly, tongues of flame for feathers that gave off their own light for those who could see them. She herself glowed, soft and golden in the darkness. John leaned forward, counterbalancing himself with his bottle in hand and squinting at her. You've got me, Harvey. I guess you can't really see me, period, since you don't exist, but that's waxing a bit too philosophical for my tastes. He stood back up straight, ambling over to lean against a wall. There came the faintest stirrings of, now what was this? Irritation. She was piqued that he did not believe she was real. Up until this moment she had been utterly indifferent as to whether mortals believed in her or not. Why should she care about this one? Yet she did. She determined to prove to him that she was as real as he was. As he raised the bottle to his lips, with a thought she changed the beer to spring water. John sputtered his next gulp in surprise, then looked at the bottle in annoyance. Well, that was a waste. He chucked the bottle away, letting it clatter against the roof and off into the darkness. You know, I've known that I'm crazy for a while. I just wish I could still enjoy a simple beer. One should not litter, John Murdoch. She chided, and held out her hand. The bottle returned to it. She handed it back to him, full once again, and felt a strange tingle as her fingers brushed his. Potential. Potential of the futures. He was awash with them. He was a nexus of many, many important things that might happen, and yet she groped after them blindly, unable to sort them, able only to understand that they were there. Perhaps this German beer will be more to your liking. Although I can make it be Guinness, or Foster's, or... the beer from the recipe of the Pharaoh Ramses, if you prefer. He uncapped the beer, taking a long pull from it and sighing contentedly before speaking. You might be of some use here, Harvey. Um... What do you call yourself, or do you want to call yourself anything? Harvey probably fits well enough, considering, but it feels a bit odd saying it, you know? She blinked, both at the question and at his flippancy, so at odds with what lay beneath his surface. She had never had a name before. She was an individual, yes, but what she had to identify her was a fragment of the song, not a name as such. In the mortal media, I am known as the Seraphim. She frowned. 
and I am the creation of the infinite, not of you. John shook his head dismissively. That's too much of a mouthful. How about Sarah, for starters? It is no better and no worse than any other name. Sarah. Que sera, Sarah, what will be, will be. Am I what will be? Her mind flitted around him and his potentials, trying to guess what she could not see by the shape of the void of which he was the center. Sarah it is. Now, what's this infinite shtick? Some sort of band? She blinked and took a nanosecond to sort through all the possible meanings of his words, before the most logical presented itself. Surely he could not think. She answered his question as if it had been posed in all seriousness. The infinite is all. It is and was and always will be. It contains everything and is everything, and we siblings sing the song of its creation. He stared at her for a few long moments, clearly not happy with her answer. Whatever you say, Obi-Wan. What are you doing here, if I might ask? She hesitated. This would be the first time she had told a mortal of her purpose. It was the first time she had felt a need to do so. Oh, there were those who had recognized her for what she was, at least in part, but she had never let anyone know her purpose here in so many blatant words. Again she felt unsettled and off-balance. Why was it that she felt moved to tell him her purpose? What was it about this mortal? Why should she answer him? Was it even permitted? The answer came before she even posed the question. It is permitted. That unsettled her more. Now it was one thing for those who could do so to see her for what she was and recognize it. It was quite another for her to tell someone about it, someone who, from all his yesterdays, had no belief in any power beyond that which he could hear and see and sense with his own five senses. "'What do you see when you look at me?' she asked, not wanting to look into his mind just yet. Something was making her hold back. Resting his elbows on the short wall there, he looked up at the cloudy night sky. He picked a cloud, gesturing to it with his beer bottle. "'I can see a cricket in a top hat. How about you?' He was hiding something, refusing to say what he wanted to. And she could take that thought from him, but she would not. She tilted her head to the side. You do not answer the question that I asked, John Murdoch. Why is that? Do you fear the answer? I'm fickle like that came the unenthusiastic response. To be fair, you haven't answered my question either. What are you doing here? 
That was fair. Information for information. I am a servant, an instrument, of the infinite. The infinite cannot intervene directly in mortal affairs, but there is a shadow on the futures of this world, and a darkness to come to it, and worlds beyond this one. Unless... She paused. She knew what she did, but how to phrase it? She searched through things that wise men had said. God does not play at dice with the universe. God does not play with the universe at all. The creatures of life are given a gift, that of free will, and the means to steer their own course. But sometimes, this time, some of those creatures have gone too far. What they may do will undo the fabric of creation eventually. So, I am here to show options. It is for mortals to choose once they know what the options are. And that was when it hit her. Options. This man had none. Or rather, he had no future at all, or else, or what he hid inside that blank in the futures, something entirely new, something that could not be tracked nor anticipated. But this she knew, and sensed. It had come to her gradually as she observed him. John Murdoch was dying. His own powers were destroying him from within. She could not see what might save him yet, but if he could be saved then this was one of the things that could change the course of what was to come entirely. On the other path, if he did die, mortal death was nothing really. It was just one man. Except he might be one of those she was expected to try to save. Except that this mortal in the equation ceased to be able to affect the mortal world, and it might be hard to find another to replace him. But telling him would serve no purpose, not just now. She had to learn him, learn about him the hard way, as mortals did, before she could decide what to do about him. Seraphim, you have free will too. She felt breathless, shocked to her core at the thought. The siblings did not have free will, they were infinite reflections of the infinite. Except, she had been given free will. What did that make her? I suppose you could call me an angel, she said, speaking before she thought. Well, that answers your question for you, too. Which question? He turned his gaze back to her. Soberly. What I saw when I looked at you. An angel. In every sense. John didn't look at her for long, breaking eye contact and returning to stare at the night sky. It's bull, but that's what I saw. So he had seen her in her full aspect, yet he was not a believer, nor was he gifted with the clear sight of the magicians. That was unexpected, 
Everything about him was unexpected. She sensed that the time to end this conversation was now. She needed to think. But... Oh, Lord, I believe, she quoted wryly. Help thou my unbelief. I shall give you a new thing, John Murdoch. Something that you may feel with your fingers, smell with your nostrils, taste with your tongue. And it will be there when I am gone to help you with your unbelief. Here. She took one of his hands, feeling again that strange tingle, and put something in it. A pottery jar, corked with a lump of unbaked clay. This is the beer of the pharaoh. You will not like it. It is made by fermenting barley bread. And then she spread her wings and launched herself skyward. Out there she sensed already there was one she should save. It never ended. Could she save John Murdoch? John turned back to stare out at the city. Most of the fires were out, but there was still so much smoke and dust in the air. Ruined what otherwise would be pretty decent nights, like tonight. He wasn't terribly sure what to make of Sarah. He'd seen at least one of the news broadcasts detailing the seraphim phenomenon that had been documented in cities all over the globe. Some of the pundits speculated that it was a group of metahumans, while others contested that it could be a single sufficiently talented meta. He had dismissed what he had seen in New York as a trick of his anguished mind, and the terrible explosion that had been the red-haired kid going Nova. Ever since he got to Atlanta, he hadn't given the being he'd seen at the truck ambush much thought, but now he was certain that it was the same as his newest acquaintance. He didn't like any of it. Her knowing his name, showing up on top of the roof of his building, not any of it. He'd done a good job of hiding it, but every instinct in his body had railed against his will to strike out and attack her out of surprise when she'd first shown herself on the roof. Attack her reflexively, or run as fast and as hard as he could in the other direction. Under it all was sheer, mind-blanking terror. It was one of the constants of his life in the past few years, but it had never been as strong as it was now. Everything he was doing nowadays, none of it made any sense. It was all stupid. Not the actions themselves, but just stupid for him to be the one performing them. This further confirmed it. He wouldn't make it through if he kept up like this. He ought to pack up and leave tonight. To hell with that, just leave. He didn't have anything he couldn't replace. One of the advantages of being a vagrant, picking up and running was a simple affair. But, still, he couldn't despite the fact that leaving would be the first smart thing he'd done since the Nazis showed up. When he'd looked at her, something had quaked inside of him, something primal and horrible, and he knew that he couldn't ignore her. And with that realization came the other constant emotion of the past five years. Hate. Mostly of himself. John ran his fingers through his hair, finishing his beer. He left the clay jar that Sarah had given him on the ledge and went back inside. He had a lot of thinking to do.